It was the height of wildfire season in the West as I took off, a record-breaking year, and the air got smoky as I reached Montana. A few days into my trip, I woke up at a campground south of Missoula to find a thin layer of black and white ash covering my truck and camper and the nearby pine trees. Driving in search of breakfast, I heard on the radio of the death of several firefighters in north-central Washington. The smell of burning trees had followed me across Washington, Idaho, and into Montana, along with the haze and the sting in the eyes and throat. An older couple I met at a coffee shop that morning told me that the fires are common, but this fire season started earlier and was more intense than any they could remember. A storm may be coming through in a few days, a young clerk at a rundown gas station and convenience store told me. Business was slow, and he had time to talk. It could bring winds that would blow the smoke away, he said, but it could also bring lightning strikes and set more fires in these bone-dry pine forests. We risk passing tipping points where climate change takes on a life of its own, and it will be too late for humans to dial it back. We may have already passed some of these tipping points. When more forests burn as a result of shifting climate patterns and the burning releases more carbon, causing additional warming, we see this vicious cycle in action. Likewise, when receding ice cover in the Arctic leaves behind darker ocean waters, those waters absorb, rather than reflect, heat. Scientists have identified more than a dozen of these so-called positive feedback loops, I thought about the salt waters where I live in Suquamish becoming acidic from the excess carbon and the sea life that is dying. Then, high in the Rockies as I crossed the Continental Divide, I saw evidence of the glaciers shrinking year by year. For parts of the world that rely on runoff from mountain snowpacks, this is dire. I felt like I was witnessing a planet shift in real time. Instead of climate change being an abstraction of graphs and charts, I was seeing it in the changing waters, breathing it in the smoky air. Journalists, scientists, policymakers, teachers, and other professionals are supposed to be dispassionate. We are trained to push aside our grief in favor of analysis and unbiased observation. Such practice is useful. But when we stand by as life on our beautiful planet dies, as one miraculous species after the next winks out, this stance turns from a professional calling into a pathology. Cautiously, as I traveled, I let the lid off my grief. Coal, from the Otter Creek Valley to China, and what happens in between. In Montana, I was looking for reasons to believe we can turn things around before we hit a climate Armageddon. I started with the people who were resisting plans for a giant new coal mine. I first learned about the plans for the Otter Creek Mine when controversy erupted about the transport of coal from the Powder River Basin in Montana and Wyoming to a proposed new coal export terminal in the Pacific Northwest. The Gateway Pacific Coal Export Terminal would be the largest in North America, 
It would be located some 100 miles north of Seattle, on the traditional land of the Lummi tribe. The terminal was designed to handle 54 million metric tons per year, most of which would be coal, according to the Washington State Department of Ecology. Mile-and-a-half-long trains and giant ships, many from Asia, would cross waters and lands considered sacred by the Lummi people. SSA Marine, half-owned by Goldman Sachs, was pushing the project. The Lummi tribe opposed the terminal. If any doubts existed about the strength of their opposition, they were laid to rest in September 2012, when tribal leaders stood on the beach of their homeland and set fire to a large facsimile of a check from port developers they stamped non-negotiable.